A lot of times um, we take away a message from an experience that maybe made sense in that context, but is not true universally, right? So you might say, um, I made a mistake in a relationship and it ended the relationship. Um, and that might have been true there, but that doesn't mean you're universally a failure at relationships. What's up, everybody? It's Kate. And JJ. And this is the second episode of season 12, which if y'all didn't know, let's talk about what season 12 is all about. You want to tell them, JJ? Well, it's about singleness. Yes, it is. But like singleness, singleness. <laughs> yes. Right? Like if you wanted to... masterclass season on only singleness and how to really, really do it well. Yeah. This season's for you. Exactly. So we're talking about the highs of singleness, the lows and disappointment of singleness. If you missed it last week's episode with Dr. Gregory Coles, Will I Be Single Forever or Is Singleness a Curse? You got to go listen to that episode because he has such a beautiful perspective. Um, and the rest of the season, we're just going to be bringing you episodes that help you along in your singleness, that make you feel seen, that make you feel supported, and that give you actual tools to really make the season a potentially awesome season if it isn't already an awesome season. All right, fam. So, you know, it's the beginning of the new year. And um, if you want to invest in us and this podcast and making this podcast happen, we'd love to invite you to join our Patreon community for as little as $5 a month. You guys are awesome. We have subscribers joining every single week and it's slow and steady and amazing. And last week for the first time ever, we did our first live podcast recording where we had our patrons there asking questions, even coming up on video to ask questions and interacting in the chat. It was so fun. That bonus episode's coming out in a few days, but we'd love to invite you to join Patreon. We have some new things in our tiers. Now you can actually get one-on-one -on -one coaching with JJ and I at the top tier in Patreon. And that's the only place you'll get one-on-one -on -one coaching with us because we don't offer it anywhere else. And if you have just a question that you want answered verbally from JJ or I, you can do that as well at our second tier level in Patreon. So we've added those to Patreon. That's all of that is brand new because people always ask us, can you coach us? Can we do one-on-one -on -one coaching? Well, now we can, but only under Patreon. So if you want to check it out, go to patreon.com forward slash heart of dating. I have a live Patreon question from someone right now. What is it? Will we ever get out of this beige era that we're the in? The beige era? So just like, if you look at the, if you're on YouTube right now, it's only beige. I know. I'm in a beige era. I, I think, when's the time to graduate? I, I love the beige era. I know. It's just, is it boring? No, it's not. Beige is beautiful. <laughs> I'm excited to graduate. I think I think we need some coloring here. Is that my seven? Like yeah, you're seven? like you want all the bright colors. That's true. I know. Every week I'm like, Kate, we got to change our podcast <laughs> setup. This is it's just the same thing. And she's like, No, it it, it looks good. Trust, the audience, it, it's important for the audience. I'm like, we got to change. It's it. way better than our my desk at our little studio apartment with a weird background. That was that was the OG days. <laughs> anyway, but speaking of YouTube, hey guys, we are on YouTube every single week, and so if you're watching on YouTube, we love you, YouTube fan. And if you're not on YouTube, then we encourage you to check us out, like, subscribe, all the things. We are really investing into the video elements of our podcast. Shout out Scott Caro who edits. 
these episodes, but we love to bring you awesome episodes on YouTube yeah. every week. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy the episode today. I loved it. Jason is, he is the man. And mm-hmm. uh, if you don't follow him on Instagram, I catch his content every now and then. And it's like, it's, you stop scrolling and like he says something and you're like, whoa. And you just think about it for yeah. 30 seconds a minute. He asks a question to all of his clients that you guys, I'm not going to ruin it. There's a, there's a question he tells us that he yeah. asks his clients. And I don't want to say it haunts me, but it's just stuck with me. It's so good. Right. Instead of giving prescriptive advice, he asks his clients a question. Yeah. And it's so good. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode today. We love Jason. Absolutely follow him on Instagram and buy his book. Yep, that just came out. Um, And I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Jason Van Ruler in the house. What's up, my friend? Hey, this is fantastic. I've been looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> it's so good to meet you virtually, but we also just met you in person a few months ago in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which Jason, I got to be honest, since we connected on Instagram, I didn't know that you lived in Sioux Falls. And then we saw you at the event we did with Embrace. And I'm like, it's Jason. Wait, does he live here? I just <laughs> so, flew to Sioux Falls just for the night. I just yeah, thought just, I would fly over. The- <laughs> yeah, why not? It's worth it's it. a great place to, to visit. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to be honest, what is your favorite thing about Sioux Falls? <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. Um, I think the community, honestly, like it's like it's an easy mm. place to have community and to launch mm. from. Um, some places yeah. are really uh, expensive or difficult to live in, just period. Uh, but this is like a really easy place just to have stability and then go other places from. I can see that for sure. Sounds like a nicer version of Waco. <laughs> you know, do you know JP Pagluda by chance, Jason? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with who that is. Yeah. Yes. So he is just, he tries to get everybody to move to Waco now that he's been there for like four or five years. And he just thinks it's like God's greatest gift <laughs> to the United States. And I'm like, you realizing you're talking about Waco. It's God's right? greatest gift because of the <laughs> resiliency it builds within the character. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you're a good salesperson for sure, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's an amazing place. Yes, I get it. Yeah. He like takes, he's like, just take everyone to Magnolia. You know, that's the place. And then they get sold on Waco. But I will say, I love Sioux Falls. I love downtown Sioux Falls. I love Embrace Church and Adam Weber. And it was so fun to be there a few months ago. Um, And Jason, actually, the first time I got introduced to you is from our mutual friend, Deb Valeda, who just sung your praises. And Deb's been a good friend for multiple years. And so um, it's so cool to like get that connection. And now I'm like, wow, now I met Jason. Now he has this awesome book that I've read most of. Okay, I was honest with you that I didn't (laughs) quite finish it, but it's so good. Um, So quickly, I want to highlight it. Um, You wrote this amazing book that came out recently called Get Past Your Past. Great title, by the way. Yeah, I love like, it. Uh, Get past your as past. simple and self-explanatory as it gets. So good. Get past your past. How facing your broken places leads to true connection. Also, shout out, you got Bob Goff to write your foreword. I mean, that's yeah. legit, Jason. That is so cool. I was, I was, <laughs> I was just so excited to have him be part of it. Uh, he's been such a positive light in my life and encouraging. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't have wanted to do it any other way. Yeah, I, I just, you guys, singles, if you're on YouTube right now, you can see me holding up the book. 
And I genuinely don't like to share about books that I don't actually read and wouldn't actually like want for you to have. And so this is one that I'm genuinely excited for you guys to read. I think it is so, so, so good. And Jason, you do, as a therapist, you work with so many singles and people dating, of course, also people in relationships and married. And I love that you break the book down into a few different parts, part three different parts. Um, we're going to focus a little bit in on the first part of your book and really healing. Um, and the title of the episode today is Reclaiming Your Worth and Value. Um, but before we jump in, on the pre-call, we talked about something kind of fun. And I think it would be fun to start there. What do you think, JJ? Well, I love the idea because... What people may not know is that you work with a lot of singles. Yeah. You'll have someone come fresh out of prison, like you say in your book, and then a wealthy businessman is the next hour. But a lot of them are singles. And so mm. what would you say if like you had a room full of 10,000 singles mm. listening uh, and you had to kind of like highlight you know, your theology of singleness and like your framework mm. of how to think about singleness right now? Mm. Mm. Well, that's a good question. And that's a big room. 10,000, that's a big room. Uh, so that would be <laughs> great to be in there. Um, I think for me, being single, uh, that is, that's a season. Um, and that's a time to learn how to take really good care of ourselves. And, and I think sometimes we overlook that place and we just say, like, how do I get from A to B without actually finding uh, the things that we need to take care of ourselves? And, and so the challenge that I see for a lot of people is they don't actually ever learn how to like enjoy their own company or how to live in a healthy space. And so then in a relationship, they don't know how to do that either. And so what I'd say is like this could be an amazing season if we let it. Uh, but we have to kind of lean into um, what that means is maybe not the thing we want right now, right? So we might desperately want to be in a relationship and we might not be, but how do I take where I'm at and make something really beautiful out of it? Do you kind of see that change based on age and like different age groups and decades kind of are looking for different things? Yeah, I think sometimes the problem that we have in dating is is there's dating advice and it's kind of like a one size fits all. And and so it's kind of like you tell people, well, this is how it is. And that's supposed to kind of generalize. And so what I look at is like we actually date differently by decades. Um, and so, for instance, someone in their 20s. Um, is dating for experience, whereas someone in their 30s is really dating for aspiration. So what do I want to do? Uh, do we want to have kids or careers, things like that? Uh, 40s is really about our identity and who we see ourselves as and how we live. 50s is often about what we didn't get because a lot of people who are dating at 50 have been in a relationship before, been married. And so it's about what I didn't have in my last relationship. And then usually 60s and beyond is about legacy. How do I create a legacy that I want to leave behind? And so I think when we start to think about it in terms of it does vary by age and season, it gives us some permission to kind of understand that not every piece of advice is going to fit us because we're all dating for different reasons. It's why maybe advice and we get questions all the time from like the 50 year olds or 50 plus or people who might be widowed or divorced. And they're like, yeah, can you just do specific advice for us? And now <laughs> I, I understand like even more so with you saying that, like, oh, yeah, it's different because some of their intention or the way they're seeing their lives and themselves and where they're at is different than the 25 year old that's listening to our podcast and just trying to gain more experience and really is a novice when it comes to dating. Um, that's really good. Don't you think, babe? No, I think it's great. I mean, I feel a little guilty. I feel like we need to turn off our camera and our mics and run away because we definitely... <laughs> 
definitely give <laughs> some nice generalized uh, dating advice sometimes, you know, so. <laughs> it is all nuanced, though. It really is. Like, it's because even advice for a 25-year-old might look different between two 25-year-olds, depending on their history, their past. One may have never dated. One may have dated a lot. And it's going to maybe also still be different, you know? So our dating stories and backgrounds were That's opposite. true. I think if you're teaching from, uh, you know, experiential or like very, you know individual situations. But I do think one thing I appreciate about your book, and we'll jump in here. Uh, and I was actually just thinking about this today unrelated to this conversation is, you know, I could be talking about uh, lust of pornography and what one guy's experiences and what he needs to hear might be completely different and opposite from what another guy needs to hear. Mm. Uh, what can relate both of them? What can bind both of them? The truth. Mm. Truth. Truth. Truth is, you know, unanimously, um, perfect for everyone. And I think that's where, like, when we kind of talking about, well, what is truthful? What applies to everyone? And for you and what your whole book is about, well, <laughs> everyone is born into a broken world. Everyone has had an imperfect family of origin. Everyone has had trauma, whether major trauma or minor trauma. So a truth that applies to all singles, whether you're 25 or 55 is, hey, you have to some extent a past mm. that you need to address. Mm-hmm. How does that sound for my working thesis? Where, where were you when I was marketing? I mean, I, where, where were you at that time? I, I could have really used your help because I, because I think it's true. And, and I think sometimes we do the thing where we say, uh, well, my story is too much or not enough, right? It, it, it's too much. And so I, I can't deal with it because I don't know where I'd start or it's not enough. Uh, and I shouldn't say anything and this shouldn't be an issue. But the reality is that uh, regardless of what's happened, there's a thing there that gets in the way if we don't do some work on it. So I want to start by talking about how to like go on that process of changing deeply. And something you talk about in your book is when you met your wife, Jody, you had begun the journey of facing some of your past and yet you still had a long way to go. And so I thought this was really interesting, but some people, they may like start the work, you know, they go to therapy for a bit. They're like, I love that you refer in your book to a bit, like having these cough moments, like these moments where like, just, wow, I'm finally addressing these big things and facing it. Um, and they might have that moment, their life maybe starts to get a little bit better, but then that's it. They don't like keep going back for more. They don't continue the journey. They're not like on the journey of endurance here. They're on the journey of let me get this fixed as soon as possible, move past it and never have to work through any other issues ever again. <laughs> and, um, and that's what, you know, when we have, we have a program called school of dating where we help people mentor people. But what's funny is almost everyone comes into that program saying, well, I've done a lot of work. And we're like, yeah, I'm sure you have done a lot of work. Um, that's great. That's amazing. Um, but like they come out of it being like, wow, there was so much more I needed to learn and work on. And I'm like, oh, ding, 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 you know? But I think there's a lot of singles that maybe get into a place of complacency when it comes to their healing journey. So what do you recommend for those singles that, you know, they've started the work, but maybe they're like, what else am I got? What else do I got to do, Jason? I already did the stuff. <laughs> I already checked it off the list, so I should be good. Yeah. Um, well, right. I think the problem with that is it's kind of a reactive approach to our health. It's saying mm -hmm. I'm going to wait until there's a problem and react to it um, and not really think about what I need to do to proactively prevent that in the future. And so whether you're a single or you're in a relationship, like that strategy is really problematic. 
If we only ever react, um, that is not our best self. Um, and there's great evidence of this. If you scare someone, their initial reaction usually is not their best reaction uh, because they're just reacting to how they feel. And so when we go to therapy and do work, um, the thing is, is that needs to be part of our life. Now, as far as frequency and stuff like that, you're going to have different seasons. So there might be a time where you spend a lot of time and energy working on things and other times where you spend less. But really, ideally, what we're trying to do is develop a lifestyle where we say, I'm just pursuing better, um, whatever that looks like uh, in, in different ways on an ongoing basis, as opposed to just reacting to the problems. Now, okay, so I have a couple questions. Um, and one, you know, that process that you're talking about, you call it coughing, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, kind of ability to just have safe space to cough up deep hurt uh, and, and have it validated. Now, when it comes to singles and relationship, you kind of talk about your personal journey. And my first question is, did Jody marry potential when she married you? Because kind of the process and the way you talk about, like, you were not, and I love how you were able to just transparently talk about it. You were not in the best place when you married her. Would you say that she kind of married potential and you had a <laughs> lot of major healing to go? Or had you done a lot of major healing and what was coming up after that was major minor healing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Jody and I, in our marriage, we have liked to flip houses. Uh, and I think she got her start with me. She's like, I'm going to flip this house. Like I see this guy, the bones <laughs> are good. We need some paint. We need new floors. We're going to make this thing work. Um, but in all seriousness, yeah, I, I, at the moment that we came together, um, I knew enough to know that what I was doing hadn't been working and I needed to change so I could verbalize that. But where I still was living and what I was doing wasn't reflecting what I wanted to do. And so I think for her, um, what she did is she gave me something I really hadn't had before, uh, which is somebody who loved me and then said, like, well, out of love, like you should pull it together. And I, I really never had someone say, like, hey, I love you and pull it together. I'm going to walk this out with you, provided you'll do some work. And so, okay. yeah. yeah. So that's great. So here's my question. Do you find in the majority of your clients it has to take a loving romantic relationship or marriage for that to happen? Or how do as singles we get that same process done? Because that might be the community or friendship that we never really find until we maybe get married where we have that unconditional love and support mm -hmm. from a friend who says, hey, this is not who you want to be and I'm here for you. How do we get to that place? Yeah, yeah. I think that can be in friendship. Um, I, I think that is a great practicing ground for relationship is to have friendships where we can do that. And it requires a lot of the same things, right? Which is to be vulnerable and to be honest and to identify someone safe. And so in many ways, when we're able to have a friend group that can do some of that with us, we become really prepared for relationship because we already know the mechanics of it. Um, I think for me, it, you know, if I look at my life, I had had some other people in my life, not romantic, who had even said a version of that. Um, and that was helpful to me. And as I grew and got healthier today, I would tell you I'm almost exclusively surrounded by people like that, uh, where if I'm making a misstep or I'm doing something, uh, they will lovingly say like, hey, how's that working for you? And maybe we need to do something different. And so I think it's just kind of a muscle that we need we need to just kind of flex and, and work a little bit so that we can be in the relationships we want to be in.
Well, something else that's really good, something else that what you were just saying, I think is an important nugget for singles is because we just did last year a season on red flags and deal breakers. And we actually personally define them not as synonymous. We define a red flag as something, hey, stop, take a look at more information. And a deal breaker is like, okay, this is like an addiction, an active addiction, for example, that's going to be probably a deal breaker. But a red flag is like, oh, you know, they had a reaction. Basically, maybe they had a trauma reaction and maybe they like yelled out of turn and they showed anger. Um, so that that's not great. That's a red flag. But what I normally suggest or what we suggest is like, okay, what do they do with that? Is this something where the trauma has come up? They've probably reacted in it. Um, and A, did they even know it existed in the first place? <laughs> and B, are they working on it? And if they are working on it, is it consistent working on it? Is it, are they taking active steps? Because I feel like some people in dating are looking for somebody that at the first sign of a red flag or something they don't like, they're like, Ooh, don't like that. Got to run away. And, um, but I'm just, I'm of the belief that, okay, we're all broken in some capacity or working through things in some capacity. My concern is less that something alarming came up and more how do they respond when you talk about it and what are they doing to actively change that thing? And are they actively changing it or are they just word of like giving you, you know, lots of great words and telling you that they're going to change it? And it sounds from your example, Jason, with Jody, it's like you had identified things and you were still in the journey mm. and she was there to say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to keep keeping, you know, keeping you accountable in a sense, loving you through this, but like these things do need to change. And you were like, yes, and I'm already working on them and changing them and committed to that, which I think is, is so, so, so key. So I think I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know if, you, does that sound like something you'd agree with as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in my marriage, something Jody said, because we've talked a lot about that, right? Because I'm I'm giving advice to people about dating. And, and so I'm like, hey, I'm writing my own story. And am I writing something I'd tell people to do? And so I've actually even asked Jody about that. Like, well, what was that about? Like, should you not have done that? Should you know, like, how did it work? And she's like, you know, Jason, the thing is, uh, for me is you were both willing and you owned it. And she's like, because you're willing to take ownership of the problem, um, that was really important and important. And then willing to do the work really made the difference. And so I, I really like what you're saying, which is that sometimes we're going to have reactions. Sometimes there are going to be problems and ongoing issues. But the question really becomes, are we willing to own that and do something about it? Yeah. Now, as a friend who might you know, be dating someone or have a friend who's not willing to own it, like what would your therapist recommendation be <laughs> for like, how do we give feedback or how, is there anything we can do right to kind of entertain or ignite or spark, or is that just completely a decision of the person that they have to make at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Um, they have to make the decision. So, so I always tell people healthy relationships are invite only. Um, we can invite and we can't force it. And so we mm -hmm. can invite the person into that. Um, what I've learned just from being a therapist for a while now is telling people what to do rarely works, right? We all kind of resist that if someone says... Can you say that one more time? <laughs> I my, the audio cut out for yeah. Kate. Yeah, telling people, like if you tell your husband what to do, that rarely works. Yeah, I I mean, this isn't, <laughs> Learn, this isn't personal. No, this isn't oddly specific. Um, but but I think the the better thing is just to be relational and to ask the person, like, how do you feel this is working? 
Um, and so really that's what I do with my clients all the time is they'll come in and they'll kind of say, this keeps happening. Um, and my question is kind of like, well, what, what do you think that's about and how is it working? And, and if a person's willing to go there, there's, there's possibility for change. And, but even when you ask that question, how's that working for you? It does it have an agenda behind it or is it just genuinely open-ended curious? Mm. I'm just curious. Yeah. Because I know I can't change them. Um, and so right. what I'll always tell like friends or clients is that um, I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I'm here to point out the options and the consequences. And if you choose that and you're OK with it, it's fine with me. Right. I might have an opinion about it. It might not be what I would do, uh, but I'm just here to kind of like say, hey, look out for that pothole over there or look out for this potential issue. And if you see that and you're OK with it, OK, like that's that's your life because we're all going to live our own life. Yeah, you know, actually, my therapist has definitely used that question on me a few times. So, how's that working out for you, Kate? It's in the handbook, and I'm like, yeah, it's in the handbook they give it. to all of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, I'm like, but but <laughs> but, but, but they need to change. I don't need to change that. They need to change that, not me. And she's like, mm, okay, <laughs> you know. And so, um, because it requires us to say, oh wow, no. I can't just depend on other people to change things or make things better for me. Like I have to take ownership. I have to take my power back. And if I really want something to change, I have to do something about it. Okay. So in the title of this episode was, you know, reclaiming value. So Mm. even that decision, so reclaiming Mm. is inferring something was lost and reclaiming, that sounds like a very purposeful, decisive choice that has to be made by the single person Right. Who's in that rut. And there's just no way they can make that decision unless at the end of the day they say, I'm just tired of this. Like I loved in your book, you just kind of hit a point where you're just like, honestly, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired and where I am in life. And And I'll do anything to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked a little bit about, uh, you know, when I had a brief career as a welder, uh, which, as mm-hmm. you can see from from myself and my cashmere sweater and cologne, <laughs> I'm a I'm a good fit for a welder. So obviously, it was a great career so you're choice. Like a GQ welder. Yeah. It was it was really good. I mean, I fit in so well. Uh, but I just had this moment where, like, I was welding and like a spark flew down my shirt, and I was just like, "Man, what am I doing?" And I think when we get to that place, then we're really ripe for entertaining change. But we have to get there on our own terms. And that's different for everybody, right? So some people might have looked at me and said, Jason, I wouldn't have taken nearly that long to figure things out. And they might not have. And there are other people who might have said, I would have taken a lot longer. And and so I think our challenge as friends is just to love each other wherever the friend is at, um, but always remind them of the truth. I love what you said about the truth is like, the truth is still the truth and we can remind them of that, but meet them where they're at. you guys this episode is sponsored by better help and no better time to talk about therapy than an episode where we have a licensed therapist jason van ruler um so we love better help and it has served so many people in our community for years on end and it's an awesome way to have affordable therapy and yes christian therapy um as you start this new year one of those things that you might be thinking is wow Maybe I should actually do some things different. Maybe I should actually help myself in the areas of healing. Even if you don't think that you have areas to heal, JJ, they probably do, don't they? 
I mean, you do. And we're just huge advocates for don't let something become an external problem with another person in relationship and marriage before you start investing in yourself, right? Yeah. And investing. And, you know, it's out of humility that we admit that we have had trauma and things happen and we have lived in an imperfect world and we need help. Like us on an island with our Bible is not necessarily maybe going to work through all the trauma and inner healing that, that we, we have, need. right? Yeah. So we're huge advocates. BetterHelp has been an amazing partner with Heart of Dating, and we could not point you guys to a better direction than BetterHelp. Yeah. If you need help setting boundaries, if you need help processing your attachment style, so many things that come up in dating, definitely encourage you to try out therapy this year with BetterHelp. So. Today, you can get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash H-O-D. That's betterhelp.com slash H-O-D. Take care of yourself and check out BetterHelp. So a lot of singles listening to this, um, as we're now in 2024, they're facing like, okay, the last year just ended. It may not have ended exactly how I wanted. I am still single. I'm wrestling with how I feel about that. And usually what what I see in singleness and, and the singles we work with, I'm sure you see this, Jason, is that there's lots of belief systems that people have about themselves. Um a lot of self-limiting beliefs, a lot of almost self-hatred or just these labels that they've even put on themselves of like, I am this, you know, like as much as I love things like maybe the Enneagram or even attachment style, sometimes we label like I'm anxious, I'm anxious attachment. So I'm anxious, but this label of like, I'm anxious, then it becomes like, well, I'm just, I'm anxious, you know, Um, versus yes, I attach anxiously, but I am not like an anxious, you know, not labeling myself in that way. Anyway, there's a lot of self-limiting beliefs of why um, this is where I'm at. Why is this like, this is not what I thought my life would be. And it brings up just so many potential lies that we have about ourselves. So how can singles start working through these self-limiting beliefs, which to the point we were just saying is a choice that they have to make. Nobody and no person coming into their life is going to make those self-limiting beliefs go away. And I think that is just like a myth um, that we sometimes cling on to. Well, if only I got this guy, if only this happened, if only then I got pregnant, oh, then I wouldn't feel these ways, right? And that's not gonna be the thing that gets rid of our self-limiting beliefs, um, but we often depend on it, other people to make those beliefs go away. But how does a single start working through some of those self-limiting beliefs? Yeah, I think the first thing is just to recognize when we have them um, and just to recognize the things we're even telling ourselves. So sometimes I'll have a client uh, just journal over the course of the week, like the things they consistently think about themselves. And are those typically positive? Are they negative? Are they neutral? And if they're negative, one of the questions I would ask is whose voice do you hear that in? Because sometimes that's a wound that we have from the past, right? So you might say, well, I I hear that I'm too much. And that's in my dad's voice because I grew up hearing that all the time. And so that's actually just my dad talking. So first of all is whose voice is that in? Um, And then secondly, uh, if I'm hearing that, is it universally true for me? Because a lot of times um, we take away a message from an experience that maybe made sense in that context, but is not true universally. Right. So you might say um, I made a mistake in a relationship and it ended the relationship Um, and that might have been true there. But that doesn't mean you're universally a failure at relationships. That's so good. 
Mm-hmm. That's so good. Or that may, that mistake again will end the next relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like not everyone's going to respond the same way to that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just have to update those things, you know? Um, and then I would just say like, be curious about the other side of that. So is there evidence to support the the more positive belief? So if you say, um, you know, I'm just not worthy of a healthy relationship, uh, is there any evidence to support that you are? And let's look at that because a lot of times we're really, really good um, at holding on to one and not holding on to the other. And so how do we hold on to both the, the positive and the negative about who we are? Yeah, that's so good. Is it just easier for our mind to hold like an absolute single truth versus the tension to hold two? Like that, I feel like that encompasses politics, faith, life. Like it's just easier to have a very clear black and white and I have this one side instead of, well, maybe they're both kind of true. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's hard to sit in the abstract and in that place um, because like you said, our brain is basically sifting through information all the time and its job is to make our life simple. And so it kind of says if we can just believe some truths, then we can operate from that place as opposed to trying to hold two things at once. And so it's easier to just believe I'm a failure or I'm worthless or whatever than it is to believe that I've maybe failed at times and also succeeded at other times. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, and I'm actually on the other, honestly, I'd say my tendency is to fall on the other end of the spectrum, which is to believe that I'm too good sometimes (laughs) and I'm too perfect and I'm too humble and I'm too servant. Like, and I don't hold the other (laughs) tension of, well, maybe my wife is right. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'm not as kind as I thought, right? But that I'm actually dead serious. Like yep. we do, t- do you tend to see like we fall on one or the other? Like we are overwhelmingly positive and affirming of ourselves without that tension of <laughs> maybe we messed up <laughs> <laughs> right well here's what i tell people we have two hands uh one is for grace one is for truth and we tend to be really good at one and not good at the other and and so you might say oh, i'm really good at grace like i give myself a ton of grace and that's easy for me uh but i wrestle a little bit with the truth um, or others of us will focus just exclusively on what we feel is the truth of the matter without giving any attention to the grace. And so how do I kind of hold on to both? Do you tend to see that people who like the grace and are great with the grace attract and like to surround themselves with <laughs> similar people? And that's why truth tellers kind of stick out against them and vice versa? Like, do we kind of <laughs> congregate around what we like to hear? Yeah. Yep. That, that's maybe part of it. Yes, absolutely. We, we gravitate towards that because it's easier. Right. Uh, But I think sometimes God's kind of funny and is like, we should put together a grace person with a truth person and just see what shakes out. And so then we have to have conversations. Yeah, that's definitely our dynamic for (laughs) sure. (laughs) But I'm actually, but I'm thinking, but from the single lens, not only when you're looking romantically to view that as a positive thing, Mm. uh, but I, I'm just, I've gotten so passionate and crazy about how can singles experience a gift of singleness and friendship that is not available in marriage mm. with people who are around them right now? Like, what are the friendships that God has yeah. given you that you are not sowing and reaping into uh, that have eternal richness with them that we're just getting, you know, like a marginal percent out of? And I think about, you know, my friendships and the way they ran, I definitely surrounded myself with lots of grace, uh, you know, like centered aspect, which is, was amazing. It was super peaceful and super kind. Lots of, lots of love, 
But I always look back, not with regret, but just like I could see there was just so much meat left on the bone. If we were just willing to be a little bit more truthful, a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more loving in the way mm-hmm. that we expose ourselves or call one another out, like we we left a lot of growth on the bone within relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just, I have such a heart and same for you, like uh, singles do idolize marriage and the grass is greener because if all Kate and I talk about is the amazing growth that happens with the feedback, well, my first thought is, well, that's nice for you. I, that's not available for me in singleness and it just couldn't be further from the truth. Is that something that you see frequently with, with singles that you work with? Yeah. Oftentimes when people are single, they sacrifice what they have for what they want. And, and so they're mm-hmm. just kind of chronically disappointed because they want to be in relationship, uh, but they avoid the fact that they are in relationship. And some of those relationships will help them be better and thrive. And I think there's also just a layer of uh, working with a lot of different people. Uh, I typically see this trend where someone is single and they say, if I could just be in relationship. And so we'll work together and they'll meet someone. And then inevitably, and they're always very annoyed when this happens, but inevitably they come in uh, and they're like, you know, I kind of miss when I was single. And I'm like, what? I thought all we wanted was to be in a relationship. And they're like, yeah, but, it, you know, it was kind of awesome when I was single because, like, I, I just did whatever I wanted all the time and I didn't have to answer. And I'm, so I think there's just like this understanding that we can have of, like, we're always going to do that thing to some extent. And so the trick is really to live in the moment and be happy in the moment because that's all we have is the moment. Um, and so when we can do that, that is our best life. So always grounded in the present gift given to you. So good. So I do have a question that um, I see happen a lot, Jason, and I'm sure you see this in the therapy that you do, but a lot of singles I hear from, they're like, Kate, you know what? The person that I do like, or I'm interested, never asked me out, but the person I'm not interested or would never be interested they're the ones asking me out. Like, why is that? <laughs> and it makes them feel worthless. They're like, this person, ugh. But the guy I really want or the girl I really want, like, they just are never asking me out or they're never interested or always get rejected. Like, what do you say to experiences like that? Because it leads to what it usually leads to is then cynicism and self-questioning and all those things. So, yeah, yeah. that's a tough one. And and I think the reason can be really varied. I mean, I think sometimes it's it's kind of what we're putting out there or sometimes it's about how we internally value ourselves uh, is is what we're attracting. I, I think other times um, sometimes we need to be the ones asking the person out. Right. So there's sometimes like it's a call to take action for us. Um, and other times it's maybe the person asking you out is like someone to entertain a conversation with, like maybe that is worthwhile and maybe that's telling you something. I, I think the thing is, is that in, in being single and dating, like curiosity is really valuable. And, and so I think what happens is instead of curiosity, we trade it for judgment. And we just say, if I'm not getting the outcome I want, then I'm going to make judgments about why that is instead of getting curious about what's leading us there. Well, why is curiosity like that much more, not just that we're avoiding judging people, but why is it so important for singles to live out of a curious heart because you learn something you know that's the beauty of it is is you don't know it all uh and we don't know it all in relationships either but that curiosity allows us to go places try things think new things develop in ways we never will judging 
And, and so that curiosity is actually the springboard to many of the things we want. Um, I have this thing where I work with clients and a lot of times they're single uh, and they're in a place of cynicism and judgment. And when we spend some time talking about curiosity, it often leads them to the relationship they want because they just started looking at things differently. And so I think that mindset is so important if we're trying to enjoy being single and working towards relationship. Yeah, because the next question I had for you was about that cynicism, like the cycle of singles feeling really hurt, it not panning out for them. Let's say they get on a dating app. Okay, now I got ghosted by three guys. Dating apps don't work. Okay, now I'm going to try to shoot my shot with this cute guy at church. Okay, he turned me down. Oh, rejection here, rejection there. Now I'm in a friendationship. I feel like this guy likes me and I'm like performing for him to like me because I just so want something badly to work out oh my gosh, he ends up with a girlfriend and now I'm heartbroken. And now I'm just cynical about it. Online dating doesn't work. Shooting my shot doesn't work. Um, trying to have a friend and make it work doesn't work. I'm stuck. I feel hopeless. This is never going to work out. It works out for that girl. It's never going to work out for me. Um, and this is like the story in the mind. It's like just dating doesn't work for me. It sucks. This whole process is awful. <laughs> um, how do they, what would you say if that was me, Jason, I come into your office, I'm like, this is my life. This is my dating life. Like, how would you, what would you say to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think I'd empathize and I just say that sounds really tough. And I, and I'd validate yeah. that that is not where you want to be. Um, and that I understand that you desire for more. Um, and then I would probably really kindly just ask how your attitude helps that be better. So how is the attitude with which you're approaching this make this season better? Um, probably doesn't, right? So we'd say, well, you know, if I believe all these things, that probably isn't actually helping me get there. Um, and then I'd also have a conversation about, um, you know, are we going to allow, so like in the example you gave, are we going to allow four experiences dictate the course of our life? So, okay, four times it didn't work out. I understand that. But is that enough to kind of generalize those situations into across the board? I don't think so. Right. I mean, there's how many people in the world. So uh, maybe we try more than four times. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I, I'll never forget. I was in Norway and we were speaking in Norway and there was a, a, a lovely woman, but I, we were sharing and doing a QA. and a And usually we do Q&A where like you saw us at Embrace, where it's like anonymous and we pick out the questions. This time we were doing that, but then somebody in the front raises their hand and I shouldn't have done it, but I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, what's your question? And she was like, none of what you're saying is working for, is going to work for me. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, why is that? She's like, well, it's just different here. And I'm older. And you know, the things you're saying, they're just not going to work for me. And it's not going to work in Norway, because the guys are in Norway, like this, that, and the other. And I was like, Okay. And so I pivoted the answer and asked her some questions. And then afterwards, she came up to me. And it was just this whole like, that's not going to work. Like, it just won't work for me. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. And I feel like, that that what I realized in that conversation is there's nothing I can say to really convince her otherwise, because right now and where she was, she's convinced that it won't work. And unless I just say all guys suck and you're right, none of the Norwegian men out there are good men. <laughs> it's not going to be in the moment, maybe the answer she wanted to hear. But I also felt compassion because I was like, I think she's just in a deep place of hurting and she just needs somebody to listen to the hurt that she's feeling. And it's not necessarily a place where I can provide, um, there's not an openness to listen to maybe a different path. Um, but I just wanted to bring that example up because I feel like 
I, I experienced that a lot um, with, with some singles. It's like, okay, well, like, like the question you asked, like, is, is that attitude working for you? Or how, how is that? Are we going to let those situations, those four situations of rejection dictate how we continue to, how you continue to move forward and see your dating life or see yourself? And those are really powerful questions. Um, Jason, as we close, I feel like I could talk to you forever, but what are some other like main? Is there any last main thing that you want singles that feel worthless, that feel cynical to know leaving this podcast? Like any last tool you want to leave them with? Yeah, I mean, I think the message I would just say is is you're not you're not worthless, um, and and there are relationships out there for you, um, and it may be difficult, uh, but it's difficult to not try to. So so there's going to be a challenge both ways, right? Putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and engaging. That is difficult and it's difficult to not do that. And so you just kind of have to pick your difficult. Um, and so if what you want is relationship, it's going to require you leaning into relationships. And so the best thing to do in my mind is to build up a really strong community of people who love you and support you. And when you have that and you feel loved and cared for, the other romantic relationship part comes a lot more easily because you're coming from a place of being well taken care of. When we are coming from a place of not having our needs met and feeling scarce, we often settle for things or we just take the first thing that comes by. Uh, I talk to clients about how if you're dehydrated and you're in the desert, you drink muddy water because you need water. Um, but that's probably not something you should do long term. And, and so I think we want to get so we're so healthy and well taken care of that we have some objectivity and can make a healthy choice. I love Love, love that analogy. Mm. So I, I had a very similar thought just today, actually, ironically, as I was thinking about it. It's just dating out of that deficiency and void. We're just so willing to compromise because we're just so hungry. Mm. We'll, we'll accept anything we think we can get our hands on, even if we know it's not the best versus mm. dating out of that healthy, right? I'm full. I'm content. My thirst is met. And the... the, the the freedom it gives us to choose, you know, with objectivity and evaluation and, mm. and have no rush to compromise. So what an awesome note to end on. Mm, so good. So smart, man. Well, Can I have your number and like call you sometime? Of course. Or, of course. I could, I could use a lot more advice from you. <laughs> I'm happy to give it. I'm happy to give it. You but should not like, to everyone on the Heart of Dating podcast, should like, but I'm giving out Jason's number. You should like give advice for a living or something. I'm thinking yeah, about it. Maybe a career change. I don't know. This is my first yeah. week, so I'm I'm thinking about it. I don't know. <laughs> should like write a book. <laughs> should like maybe write a book. Maybe do some videos on Instagram, maybe. giving people advice. It's we worth a shot. We listen to like a ton of your um, reels earlier yesterday and today. <laughs> I love like, it. If you saw like a million likes for me, that's what happened. Just so you know. Okay? Well, that's great. I'll take um, them. Speaking, speaking of that, how do people find you? Get your book. Just get connected. All the things, Jason. Yeah, the book and uh, audiobook, Amazon, Target, all the big places. Um, and then Instagram, like you said, I have daily relationship tips and advice uh, for both people in relationship and singles. That's Jason.VanRuler. Um, and so if you go there, you can find me. So good. You're the man. Thanks so much for coming on, bro. Yeah, You're thanks awesome. so much for having me. This was great. The Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate and JJ Tomlin. Shout out to our epic audio and video editor, Scott Caro. We have an amazing Heart of Dating team who helps bring the show to you each week. 
I want to shout out Kelsey Napier, our Heart of Dating Digital Marketing Coordinator, and Elena Gibson, our Brand and Community Manager. We couldn't do it without them. Now, if you guys have never ranked us or reviewed us on iTunes or Spotify, would you consider doing that? It would mean so much because our podcast can get more discovered and more people can learn how to better date as Christians. Don't we all want that? We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesdays. So we will see you next week. Thank you.